Maybe you ought to stick to the shallow until you learn how to swim, gorgeous. Maybe you ought to try a breathman surfer boy. <laughs> Name's Arthur Curry. My friends call me AC. Come on, we gotta get you back to the farm. Wow. Where did Bobby Baywatch come from? I don't know. But he can sure swim fast. Are we talking Olympic gold medal fast or media freak fast? This is something else. He can swim faster than I can. Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine, or as I like to call him, the Irrigated Rob. <laughs> yes, I'm, I have water flowing through me at a regular rate. Uh, good evening, Shag. Great to be here. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm so glad you could show up. <laughs> <laughs> it just sounded a little bit like you were Johnny Carson, and I was excited. Right, exactly. Yeah. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I have a new film coming out. I think I brought a clip. Let's see. Hold right. Play the clip! Play the clip! Which is kind of ironic you should mention that, because we're going to be talking about some television stuff here tonight. Oh, look at that. It's almost like I said that on purpose. Almost like you had developed that Segu you uh, in advance. So, first off, uh, I wanted to uh, quiz you, grill you a little here on your travel, sir. I understand you've been hitting some Comic-Cons? Yes, last weekend, uh, my Ace Kilroy partner and I, Dan O'Connor, did the Great Allentown Comic-Con. Um, Dan is from Allentown, so that was a local show for him. It was a two-day show, uh, Saturday and Sunday. I just could attend the one day. Their big, their big guest was Neil Adams. Wow. And, uh, yeah, they, they get, and on, uh, this will uh, presage what we're going to talk about shortly, but um, one of the initial guests was supposed to be Joe Kubert, and he did not show up, and now, of course, we kind of know why that, why that was. Um, but, anyway, but, but anyway, Neil, Neil the, the big guests there were Neil Adams and Jim Stranko, and um, they were both there. And um, 
we had a nice time. Dan and I, we, uh, you know, we sold some merch. We talked to some people about Ace Coware. We had all of our various Ace Coware doodads, our trading cards and our prints and the bookmarks and all this other kind of stuff. Um, so it was, a, it was a fun show. The, 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 the really neat experience, of course, came on Sunday, the day I wasn't there. Um, was, um, Dan was there and his wife, uh, Kayla, was there. And Kayla apparently is, I don't know, buddies with Jim Stranko. Apparently Jim Stranko considers himself quite the player. So, okay. so like, if you want to, like, get to know him as a, as a comics fan, you send your wife over. To do the intros, that's apparently so. Um, as Dan put it, I'm thankful Kayla has breasts, and I'm like Dan, we all are. So apparently oh he was talking. Kayla was, but Kayla knows him previously, so they were talking uh, on Sunday and about. And so she brought up Ace Kilroy, and Dan Jim Stranko said, "Oh, do you have any of it? I'd like to see it." So, oh, wow. so she runs back over to the table, and I had lift, left Dan a copy of the Ace Kilroy Treasury Edition. We had gotten two kind of rough-cut versions of it for the, from the printer so we could approve them. And I brought one for Dan, and I had one for myself. And she grabbed that and brought it over to Jim Stranko. And apparently Stranko took a look at it and said it was, quote, impressive and uh, that it was ambitious. And he said to her that he really liked what he saw. And oh like, my gosh. So that was like, and so Dan tweeted me that like the minute after he said it. And I got this tweet from Dan, not a tweet, I'm sorry, a text from Dan, where he's like, Stranko said Ace Kilroy was, was impressive. I was like, oh my God, really? So, so that was really cool. That's, you know, I mean, I'm a fan of Stranko. Anybody who, you know, is like a, a fan of, you know, innovative comics artists should be. He was really oh, yeah. one of the big guys of, of his era. And uh, created, of course, created the Cinema Cinema Fan. Cinema Fantastique magazine as well. Um, so that was really cool. So we are hoping maybe at some point we'll be able to get a like a nice pull quote from him for the book, which would be really cool. So oh, wow. uh, so so that was that was Sunday. That was I was that was really fun. I wish I had been there uh, for that. Uh, and then Conwise this weekend. Um, actually, by the time you guys uh, everybody hears this, the con will have passed. But this weekend, we're coming up. I'll be doing a Monster Mania con where I'll be selling some of my monster artwork. I have a lot of monster art that is by far like the most popular stuff that I do, and I'll be selling those things and selling some Ace Kilroy stuff. And that ought to be that's that's right around the corner from from our house, so that ought to be a lot of fun uh, as well. So it's um, kind of going to be a you know crazy couple of weeks. Cool. You know, um, I, I forgot to mention. Uh, I think I've told you, but I don't know if I've told the listener. I've got a con coming up too. I'm not. Um, cool guest like Rob, because he's like famous and stuff, but I'm, att- I'm attending a con coming up. I'm attending Dragon Con uh, at the end of this month. And, uh, That's by the coming way, up it, already? The new Dragon yeah, Con's coming up? Yeah. Wow. It, it, dude, we've been, we've, been record- we've been broadcasting for uh, almost a year now, so wow. it's uh, one of our earliest <laughs> shows talking about Dragon Con. Oh, wow. So uh, I'm going to Dragon Con at the end of this month, and I am so excited about it. When, what reminded me of it was when you mentioned Neil Adams, because he's going to be there as well. He gets around. And, uh, he did, yeah, <laughs> they just added him to the list recently. And uh, I had to mention this because we've talked about this before. One of the guests is Bill Sienkiewicz. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I'm dying to meet him. I just got to know if he's, you know, the creepy, weird guy that I suspect he is. But I um, he is. I was, I, I'm sure he's probably quite polite and quite normal. But I like to think he's like his, tw- his Twitter icon, which is this crazy bearded old man who's giving thumbs up that looks really terrifying. <laughs> um, but his, I, I do have to mention, because, you know, we, we kind of – we were trying to figure out how to say his name. We think we both know, but we weren't completely sure. I can now officially say I know how to say Sienkiewicz because his Twitter handle is literally 
sin, all caps, <laughs> all caps, kev, lowercase itch. There you go. <laughs> so uh, he has specifically, phonetically made his Twitter handle that. So Hector Negrete. Negrete. Exactly. <laughs> but he'll be there, and Bernie Wrightson, and Brian Stelfreeze, and Tim Sale, and Bernie Wrightson there? Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kevin Eastman, J. Scott Campbell, Mark Bagley. Mark Bagley's going to be there? Oh, my gosh. Um, I didn't know that. Peter David, Paul Jenkins. I mean, the, the list is, it's not massive like Comic-Con, but Jim Starlin. Oh, my gosh. Um, I'm, I'm looking at this list for the first time myself. Uh, Humberto Ramos, Stan Lee. Oh, as a shock. Um, he, hey, he only started coming a year or two ago. He's great. Well, I, I've just so, seen Stan Lee at a Comic-Con. Who would have guessed such a thing? Someday I'll tell you the story about how I sat in his office with him for 45 minutes. But anyway, oh and I'm not kidding. Um, so anyway, so I just, I'm excited about this con. And, I'll, and a totally non-comic guest, although I guess I could spin it because they just announced a comic book adaptation of this. We'll try that. Um, the, the big new guest they just announced... Richard Dean Anderson. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm like freaking out. I'm going to meet MacGyver. It'll be great if you end up getting trapped in a room. You'll be fine. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, either that or we'll just build a Stargate and get out. But um, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, he is like, honestly, uh, you know, of fictional television actors, he's like one of my favorites. I just like, growing up watching MacGyver, I was, it was, it was my thing, man. And I knew it was ridiculous, but it was my thing. I know this is a lazy joke, but I'm going to say he'll be able to build a bomb out of an old copy of Superman Family. Oh, that was, that was, that was only so much of a stretch. <laughs> okay. Well, just saying the whole, he can make a bomb out of eggs. Oh, yeah. That's, that's just a lazy joke, but I'm confident. Yes, it is. So. It's true. Okay. It's, it's almost as bad as, uh, um, oh crap. What was the MacGruber? Yeah, go. the McGrew Grant. Well, and then, right, they made a movie out of that, so I guess I, I shouldn't know. be so hard on myself. Crazy. All right. So you got something else going on in the next couple of days, too, right? Yeah, as we mentioned before, I am up uh, for a Geek Award, uh, which is a, a, product, a product of the um, Geekadelphia, which is this website in, as you can imagine, Philadelphia, uh, celebrating all things geek-related. It's actually a huge thing. Like, you actually, it's a black tie thing, and they offer limo service to the thing, and there's a, there's a cocktail reception and there's an after party, and it's like a really kind of a big deal. So uh, I'm nominated for best writer, best comic writer, and Dan is nominated for best comic artist. So, uh, and we'll both both sets of us will be there. I will be there with Tracy. Dan will be there with Kayla. Um, so that'll be a lot of fun. I've never ever gone to something like this. So that'll be really cool. I'm not expecting at all to win. Um, so if I win, it'll be a delightful surprise. I hope Dan wins because I think Dan's art is superb. And of course, you know, I think he deserves it and it would love, you know, it would, it would bring a lot of great attention to the strip, but, right. but it, it, it really is great. I, you know, the cliche, just great to be nominated. It really is. It's very exciting. <laughs> no, it really is. It's fun. It's, it's, you know, it's really nice to be recognized and, because, you know, it's hard to, to know necessarily how many people are reading. I mean, I know how many people read the strip on any given day, but you just don't know, you know, how much of, uh, you know, is it, how big is that audience really? So it's, yeah. it's nice to get this kind of attention, and, and it's fun. I've never, again, I've never gotten to do anything like this. And it's falling uh, in a succession, as, as uh, again, as we record this. Uh, we've got my birthday coming up, and then the Geek Awards, and then the Monster Mania Con. So it's going to be <laughs> a packed couple of days. That's so cool! What a great, what a great series of things to go on right now. Awesome! I'm excited for you, man, and congratulations on being nominated. You absolutely deserve to win. And as you said, if you don't, 
that's okay. Yeah. Uh, and if you do, awesome. Absolutely phenomenal. I do expect some sort of tweet as to who won. Okay. And, uh, and, we, and we, of course, wish Dan all the best as well. Yes, thank you. So. Thank you very much. So I, I was thinking the whole direction you were going to go about, you know, how it's kind of exclusive and hard again. I was picturing like a, an 80s uh, espionage show where you were going to like knock out one of the waiters and take their outfit and sneak in with the tray. And then, you know, right as it came time to announce the, the winners, you were going to like jump on stage and rip open your shirt and say soy bomb or, you know, something like that. It's kind of I, I will figuring. never do that. That man is dead to me. Um, <laughs> as, as, a, as a Bob Dylan fan, I would like soy bomb to be shipped off to Mars. Um, the, the wounds don't heal, even though it's 15 years later. Um, but yeah, I, that'd be funny. I didn't even, I didn't even put the Bob Dylan connection yeah, there until that's, I, that's great. Yeah, I hate, I hate that guy. I hate that guy. I can never enjoy that Grammy performance without seeing that idiot. Um, but, uh, yes, I will sneak, if I had to, I could sneak into the ballroom and like stab somebody with an ace tin and knock them out or some sort of crazy dramatic thing like that. Perfect. Perfect. Absolutely. Well, going from that happy laughing segue, uh, <laughs> right into something depressing. Um, I do want to say thanks to Rob for pulling together the um, the last episode of Fire and Water. He did a, about a ten minute thing for us, sharing some nice memories about Joe Kubert. Uh, I really appreciate him doing that. Uh, obviously, there was no need for me to be there. I mean, that was Rob's moment, Rob's memory. I didn't really want to interfere, and so uh, I really appreciate that. And I hope you fans and listeners and nuclear subs got you know really. Got a chance to listen to that and, um, you know, kind of experience some of it from someone who knew, uh, who, who had met Joe firsthand. So I, I thank you for that. Oh, well, thank you. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the, the, the night the news came out, um, when Rob was recording it, I was, you know, I was reading the news articles and, and reflecting on sort of, I, I don't, I'm not that familiar with Joe Kubert. And on our Who's Who episodes, if you guys listen to those, I haven't always been as kind as I probably could to Joe. And, and I thought, you know what, I, I had talked about how I wanted to read more of his stuff. So I went out at that moment and bought the Enemy Ace Showcase, which he helped develop that character with um, Kaniger? Yeah, Bob, right? Bob Kaniger, yeah. Bob Kaniger. They, they developed and created the character of Enemy Ace. And um, so I went ahead and ordered that, and it actually came in today. And I already started reading it, and I read the first couple stories. And, wow, it's really good. I mean, it's really enjoyable. And his art. I mean, that kind of genre, you know, the the World War One buy and triplanes. Yeah, he really it, sunk his teeth into that stuff. Man, I mean, it's good. I can't imagine it being any better. It's just, and even in black and white without the color, you get really good to see his line work, and it looks great. It's so good. Uh, I'm really dying. I hope there's some balloon buster in there. I'm going to be arm going to cry. Yeah, it was, it, it, yeah, that's, a, that's, some, that's some really, really good stuff. And then, yeah, and in terms of, talk about the last episode yeah i mean i i really did not have a lot of interaction with the man as i mentioned because i was just simply too intimidated to talk to him too much but it was like you know in the in the 85 years that he lived there was at least you know like that 20 minutes where it was just him and me you know like i can literally say for those 20 minutes no one else shared that moment but me and so it may have only been 20 minutes out of 85 years, but at least that, that 20 minutes looms large in my memory. And I'm dying to find that sketch. I have to dig it out of storage because I know I still have it. It's one of the few things that I kept from those right. years. So I know I have it. And if I, I said if I can find it, I will put it up on the uh, Fire and Water Tumblr for everybody to see because it really was a, um, an amazing moment. And I'm, you know, I said I'm very proud to have been a, a graduate of his school, and we knocked it at the time. You know, we all made fun of the school and for how cruddy it was and how run down it was and 
all the stuff. But nevertheless, you know, we're all very proud of it. And, um, you know, we, we every time I'm up in that area, I tend to go back there and just drive by just to see the building again. You know, it has, you know we had a lot of good memories. And, and I'm still friends with a lot of those people 20, you know, 20, 22 years later. So, uh, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was an amazing thing to be able to sort of walk the hall sometime and like, wow, that's, that's Joe Kubert right there, standing there. <laughs> mm. The one story, I, I'm sorry, the, the one thing I did want to mention that I, I didn't in the, in, the, in the sort of half show that we did or quarter show was the last time I saw him uh, was about five years ago and I stopped a buy up there and I stopped in the Joe Kubert School art store. They had its own art store, art, su- mm-hmm. art supply store. And so I went in there and I'm, I don't remember what I was shopping for, it doesn't matter. And I see the door open, and in walks Joe Kubert with Chuck Jones, the Bugs Bunny, Chuck Jones. I was thinking, I was going to say, we're talking like animation yeah, here, the right? Chuck, yeah. The Chuck Jones. Oh, probably, my gosh. Probably, probably couldn't have been five years ago because I think Chuck Jones has been dead longer than that. But I mean, anyway, it was within the last ten years. And so it's these two, I mean, it's amazing. You have these two, I'm like, that's Chuck Jones. And I was like, i got to go up to them. And I'll, I'll make me, you know, Joe won't remember me, but I'll say I had his, because I just want to be able to say it, and I didn't screw up the courage to do it. I just couldn't. I was too, what is with you? I'm an idiot. I was too terrified. I was just like, I'm going to make an idiot of myself. Joe's not going to remember me. He's going to hit me with those big hands. It's going to be embarrassing. <laughs> and so I, I didn't, and I, I kind of always regret passing up that opportunity, because I, I would have had the chance to say hi to Chuck Jones, for God's sakes. You're hyper-focused on those big hands. What well, he did, his hands were like catcher's mitts. It was ridiculous. He, he was, so funny. He would slap you on the back and call you my boy, like, oh, good job, my boy. And you'd be like, Ugh! you know, you'd like, knock the wind out of you. Like, it was like getting hit by a soccer ball. So it was, whew. So. Uh, well, now we're laughing in the depressing section, and we're going right into another depressing topic. Um, so we lost another uh, legend recently, haven't we? Yes, uh, a couple weeks previous, um, the voice of Aquaman on the Super Friends, the first voice, Norman Alden, uh, passed away. I believe he was 87. And uh, mm. Norman, Norman was someone who I got to talk to. I, do, I did a, a, a live interview with, thanks to his manager who hooked us up. And I got to spend like two hours talking to him, which exists on the shrine. You can go, um, there's a link to it in the sidebar. You can listen to the whole interview. He was a delight. He was so fun to talk to. He was such a nice guy. He was so sweet, telling stories about, you know, working on Super Friends and the movies he was in. And he was in Ed Wood, one of my all-time favorite movies. So he was oh, wow. In that movie, he plays um, Bill, the uh, colorblind uh, cinematographer. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> which, which dress should I wear? I don't know. They look, well, do you want the, the, the light gray one or the dark gray one? They both look the same to me. <laughs> um, and, and at the end of the interview, um, Norman Alden offered to record a custom Aquaman Shrine greeting in his classic Aquaman voice. He, he offered to do it. I didn't bring it up. And so him and his manager went into, like, a studio, I guess they had in, in the office. And he, rec- oh my gosh. he recorded this greeting for the Aquaman Shrine in his classic Aquaman voice. And that button has taken up residence on the Shrine since the day he did it, and it's been there ever since. And uh, normally, I don't like to, um, we don't like to like, give away the stingers at the end of the show, because I like it to be a surprise, but I just want to give everybody the context. The stinger at the end of the show was going to be that, that message, because maybe some of you haven't heard it. And I, every time I listen to it, every so often I'll remember that it's there and I'll play it again. And it just, it warms my heart to hear, you know, Aquaman, the Aquaman that I grew up with in 1975, say 
the words Aquaman tried. You know, like just to That's hear him so say it. Cool. And and luckily, um, I kind of kept up with Norman. I would I would email him through his uh, agent um, every so often. And then when we did the um, 70th anniversary Aquaman post, he submitted a quote for us for that, and and thanked me personally for being a fan and keeping the memory of his super friend's time alive. And so he, he gave us a nice quote there. And that was the last time I spoke to him. So I managed to keep up with him a, a little bit. And, and I'm always grateful to, for that because as far as I can remember, the super friends Aquaman is probably the first time I ever saw the character, probably even more than the comics. Be- yeah. Because I, yeah, sense, yeah. I, I honestly don't remember a time where I wasn't watching the super friends and he was the voice of super friends in the first version of, of the show, which was in 1972 or three up until 77, and then another actor took over. So he was, you know, quite literally the first Aquaman. And so, so he will always be the guy for me. And uh, it was great that I got to know him on a, on a somewhat personal basis. That's cool. That's, that's, a, that's a really neat story. And, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it if you haven't already heard the Aquaman thing. It, it's sort of like, I don't, know, I don't want to say it sends chills up your back, but it's like, oh, my gosh, I, that's so many years. There he is talking to you again in that voice. It's so cool. Yeah, I mean, in some ways it would almost be like if you're a Superman fan and, like, you got a chance to, like, get Christopher Reeve to, to be like, welcome to the Man of Steel.org. You know what I mean? Like, it would just or, be like. Or, yeah, George Reeve saying welcome to the Superman homepage. Yeah, yeah. It would just exactly. be unbelievable. You'd be like, wow, you know, that kind of thing. So it was really, really, really cool that, that he did that. And, and like, that's. That little button, I'm, I'm so proud of that. Every time I see it, <laughs> I'm just like, I love that that thing is there. It'll never come down. <laughs> well, speaking of superheroes on TV, um, a lot of you folks have probably heard about the new show in development right now uh, called Arrow. It's a it's a new Green Arrow series, and uh, it's I, I, you know I actually don't know who's starring in the show. Uh, <laughs> who, who is playing Arrow? <laughs> you know, it's funny, kind of how that show. Uh, you know what? We never really told everybody what the what today's topic is for the show. Well, I mentioned we're going to be talking about TV. Yeah, it's basically but, yeah. live action versions of our two characters, which of course in Firestorm's case is going to be pretty limited to yeah. this little bit. But um, but yeah, but it's funny. Arrow is like really flying under the radar. You know what I mean? In a lot of like DC's not promoting it all that much. And, like, it was sort of just being developed, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah, in September it's going to start. It's like, wow, really? Um, the actor playing Green Arrow is named Stephen Amell. I, I don't yep. know who that is, but that's... I'm on Internet Movie Database as we there speak. You go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's done a few things. He was, he's in a, he was in a show called Heartland. He was in Private Practice, you know, Hung. So, I mean, he's, he's been around, and he's been active in acting, you know, since around 2004. So he's not just a newbie. To, to television, but um, he's definitely not somebody who's, you know, been headlining and everyone knows who he is. Funnily enough, but, um, funnily enough, he was also on the TV series Blue Mountain State, which also features Alan Richardson, who was Aquaman. There we go. There Buddy of mine, um, his name's uh, Michael Bailey. He does a great show called Views in the Long Box and Superman from Crisis to Crisis and a lot of other podcasts. And he's he has an insane photographic memory. And any, any actor, any actor you mentioned, he can do that with where, and it'll be tied to Superman. He'd be like, "Oh, well, he starred in such and such with this actor." Six degrees such and such of Superman. Superman. It's two degrees of <laughs> Superman with him. I mean, it's unbelievable. So, um, so the so the Arrow Arrow shows in development for the CW, and what their shtick is is that it's going to be no superpowers. You know, it's it's clearly they're trying to build off the popularity of Smallville without lifting the Green Arrow character out of Smallville. I mean, it's a new version of Green Arrow. It seems like a weird tack to take, frankly. I, you know, I had some good debates on um, the Unique Geek with some of my friends about that because I thought it was a strange idea, too. Yeah. 
Um, you know, clearly they're trying to capitalize on the popularity of superheroes, and Smallville was their big initiative, and here they're going a different direction with the character. So I thought it was strange, but, you know, there's a lot of other people that have different varying opinions on it. So Can I say I'm, yeah. I'm not heartened by the notion that on the uh, cast list for the show, again, I haven't seen it yet, but yeah. the cast list lists some, list someone named Steve Backick playing a character called Vortigan the Dark Archer. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> I'm sure that'll get a little better than uh, that. I but, I mean, some, of the, okay. some of the characters that they do have in here um, is... I see that now, Vortigan the Dark Archer. <laughs> um, they've got uh, Dina Laurel Lance. Yeah. So obviously yeah, they've got Black Canary. So got Black Canary in there. I see someone whose last name is Tadio. That's clearly a nod. Um, they've got someone named Merlin. Tommy Merlin. Tommy Merlin, and Merlin. Yeah. Yep, that's a, that's a Green Arrow villain. Um, let me see. I don't see, I see Diggle. There's someone named Diggle, which is a nod to the comic or, uh, writer. Uh, or was it Diggle? Diggle's a writer. Yeah, Andy Diggle. And then, yeah, you know, you've got a lot of the Queen and Lances in here. So you've got a lot of different um, nods to comic books. And there's more that I'm sure I'm not getting because here's one, folks, for you match heads out there. They have cast Emily Bett Rickards as a character named Felicity Smoke. Now, all of you um, Aquanauts are going, what? Why do, I don't care. Felicity Smoke, what's that? Whatever. And then you long-term match heads are going, oh my gosh! Yes, that is Ronnie Raymond's stepmother. Um, it, is, it is not a coincidence that the word Felicity and Smoke got put together by accident. You know, at first, that's what I thought it was. I'm like, well, that's got to be just a coincidence. But, um, yeah, they, they are intentionally casting that, at least the name. We don't know anything about the uh, anything about the character. We don't know if she'll have any of the traits that Felicity Smoke was well known for, which I'll discuss in just a second. But without a doubt, that is the character that has been introduced. She uh, she's being played by the absolutely adorable Emily Bett Rickards, who doesn't have a large CV herself. I mean, she was in probably the thing she's most known for was a, a video called Flicka Country Pride. Well, you you really can't get hired on the CW if you're above. 25 years old, so how many credits can you possibly have? Dude, and you're not kidding, because if you look at all the people on the Arrow show, I, I'll just come out and say it. It is a who's who of hot young girls. I mean, you just you click it and you look at their pictures and you're like, oh my gosh, she's hot. Well, everybody. Oh my gosh, every, every, gosh she's hot. Everybody yeah. on the show is, everyone on the CW is eye candy, male or female. I mean, that's like their, just, that's their M.O. Oh, I'm not even clicking the guys. Sorry. I'm just saying uh, they, they're not hiring a lot of – you're not seeing a lot of older people showing up at CW casting calls is what I'm saying. Guys our age. They don't hire us. Yeah. But, <laughs> but she's uh, absolutely adorable, and uh, she's on Twitter, and I was following a couple of her Twitter things. She seems like a really nice lady. Um, so the character Felicity Smoke, for this, you don't know her. She's actually – she's not just some random um, supporting character. She actually served a purpose uh, in the series. She – was uh, someone who took an antagonistic position to Firestorm. She was uh, like an executive of a computer software firm in New York, and during one of Firestorm's typical superhero battles, he's battling these bad guys, and he has to turn, to capture the bad guy who's wearing a metal suit, he decides to turn the roof of this building into a giant magnet to hold the guy in the metal suit from getting away. Well, it's a software company. So the magnet erased all the hard drives, probably tape drives back then, Good whatever. Good job, Firestorm. In the building. So she comes running up there screaming in his face. And he's like, well, wait a minute. I just saved the day. She's like, yeah, but you just destroyed our company. You know, you cost us $8 million. 
And, you know, back in 1983, that's a lot of money. <laughs> that was a lot of money back. <laughs> Nowadays, hold on, I'll sneeze that amount of money out, but because of inflation. But uh, so she's basically suing him for malpractice. And that's how he meets her, is her th- telling her that she's going to sue him for malpractice. And then later on, she starts dating Ronnie Raymond's father, investigative reporter Ed Raymond. And so Ronnie's in this position where he's got this woman who's suing him and dating his father. And, uh, and of course, she doesn't know that he's Firestorm. And then eventually she drops the suit, figures out that Ronnie is, in fact, Firestorm. She's the, she's the first person in the, in the Raymond household to figure out that Ronnie was Firestorm. And actually becomes a big supporter of his. So she's... she's Sort of like a favorite character, and she's got she's got that neat position of suing a superhero for using their powers recklessly. <laughs> and I don't think I I could be wrong. I don't think that had ever been done in a comic. Um, and you guys feel free to write in and tell me I'm totally wrong. But I, that's where I'm kind of thinking that they might take this direction of this Emily Betts Rickards character. Was that the, the, before the, the Flash was put on trial for murder? Because that's kind of similar. Hmm. It's not, it's not exactly the same, but it's close. Well, Flash was put on trial for murder either in 84 or 85. Right, it was right before the crisis. So, or 83 or 84. And this occurred in very early 84. Okay, so they were pretty so, contemporaneous of each other. Probably, yeah, yeah. Now, I would say a lawsuit for murder and a lawsuit for reckless usage of your powers is a little bit different. But either way, right. it's, it's arguing, you know, whatever, semantics. But, um... So I, I, I'm wondering if, you know, they pick this character. They either pick the character because the name sounds cool or because they want to possibly play that role of having her possibly sue Oliver Queen or sue um, Arrow for some problem he causes. So in, the, you know? so in the comics, there's no connection to Green Arrow, as far as you know? Not at all. Wow, that in is fact, a weird. weird uh, in fact, she only ever appeared in relationship to Firestorm. Like, she had no appearances outside of the Firestorm universe. Like, she appeared outside of the Firestorm comic, but it was always in context of Firestorm. Huh. And, in fact, she, when Firestorm got canceled in 1990, she dropped off the radar. She did literally not, did not appear again until 2005. And that was, again, still tied to Firestorm. After Firestorm had died in an identity crisis. Sorry, spoiler. And um, she was at the, the, the trial of Shadow Thief. For, for Firestorm's murder, and then she showed up again to meet Jason Rush in a Firestorm um, series when Jason was Firestorm. But that's it. So she has never appeared anywhere involving anyone other than Firestorm. Weird. So it's a really odd choice. Um, hmm. I'm thinking that, you know, it's probably just, um, it has something to do with the lawsuit. Now, the one thing that everyone's pretty safe is that it's this will not lead to Firestorm appearing. <laughs> Era. As much as I like, you know, that's the first thing that went to my mind. Like, first, you know, um, doesn't make sense because they have come right out and said that Arrow will be a TV series and will, that will not feature anybody with superpowers. I like the idea of you going around going, Firestorm. <gasps> I, just, I just like that. That just tickles. Just <laughs> in your daily life. <laughs> I mean, that happens every day. Yeah, exactly. You're like getting on the, you're you know, on the toll, you know, giving a guy the money for the toll bridge. You're like, Firestorm. <gasps> <laughs> That's going to be your sound bite you're going to hear from now on, folks. Oh, and Rob saying that I was right from a couple episodes ago. So I uh, that part. <laughs> I'm sure you did. The the best I think we could hope for, Match Heads, you know, and I don't even think this is going to happen, guys. But the best we could possibly hope for would be that she might develop a romantic relationship with uh, an investigative reporter named Ed Raymond. That's the best we could hope for, guys. Um, you know, Ronnie's dad. Because we're not going to see she, – she's too young to have a, a kid, 
You know, she's there's no Again, way she's, she's on the CW. <laughs> well, I know, but there's no way she, you know, being her age, she could pos- anyone could possibly pass her off as being the mom of any child, let alone a teenager who's you know a superhero. So anyway, it's it's just a cool, it's exciting. You know, it's the closest Firestorm's ever got to live action. <laughs> what a weird like backdoor way of going into live action is. I know. Having a bizarre supporting character show up, you know. It's like seeing the, the the introduction to the Aquaman universe on Smallville is going to be with Volko. You're like, what? Right. <laughs> like, why? <laughs> why are they doing it that way? And uh, and that's um, and, and there's probably more of that type of casting in there of those names we write off that mm. we just don't get. I mean, we get the Merlin, we get. You know, the Didio, we get the Diggle, but there's probably a bunch of other characters there that someone's going to go, oh, he was a supporting character in Claw the Unconquered. Like, really? That would be awesome if they worked that way. Wow. That would That's be fantastic. Well, as Rob said, yes, we're talking about live action uh, adaptations of our character. We have now officially <laughs> completed the Firestorm portion <laughs> of the show. Uh, we're now we're going to talk about that guy that talks to fish, except on television. Yeah, Jake, right. He does not do that on the, on the television. Um, yeah, and it's it's remarkable to think about that, uh, you know, less than a couple of years, uh, just a couple of years ago, we would not have been able to do this segment at all. Because, True. you know, Aquaman had never been done in live action until Smallville. And, you know, in his, he'd been around 60, some 65 years, almost something like that before. So, I mean, he had a long run of no live action appearances at all. Um, Do you ever run into anyone that tries to convince you the man from Atlantis was Aquaman? I have run into people that are like, didn't, wasn't there an Aquaman TV show in the seventies? And if no, no, it was called the man. Yeah, no, that was not a show. That was not. And there, well, there's another one that's even odder. There is a student film that goes around. Uh, this was passed around back in the days of, you know, cruddy VHS copies. And it was an Aquaman movie shot. Yeah. It was shot by clearly like some students that, 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 that went to like some uh, uh, oceanographic universe-based university because they had, yeah. they had access to things that nobody would have because they had access to like these giant tanks of water. And it was mm. it was a guy running around in an Aquaman suit, and they had like a boat, like a big ship. So they had access to all this kind of crazy stuff. But it was done like it was you know done with like handheld cameras, and you know the costumes are clearly homemade, and the jokes are pretty sophomoric. Like he throws a starfish at a guy's crotch and things like that. And, oh God! And, right, and 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 like the his father is like Jacques Cousteau because he talks like you know the you know that kind of thing. And for years, for years, I would have people say, oh, no, no, you have never met, you have you ever seen this Aquaman movie? It was underground, and it, and it never got, and you're like, no, it's not, no, it was, a, it's not a, re-. people for years thought it was a real film that got buried. It's like, no, it was a hand-done thing that, right. you know, so it's not real, it's not a real thing. It opens, it, 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 it's, it's basically, you know, ridiculous fan stuff yeah. done before, um, before YouTube existed. It, it, that's the perfect way of putting it. Yeah, it's, it's a YouTube fanfic movie before YouTube is the perfect way of putting it. So, so that does not really count. And then the other odd mention, um, this is one of my favorite things about Aquaman and live action, is back when um, DC Comics used to do the Answer Man column. Yeah. Bob Rosette, which is one of my favorite things. Um, somebody wrote in once and said, are they ever going to make a Super Friends movie with Christopher Reeve as Superman, Adam West and Burt Ward as Batman and Robin, Linda Carter as Wonder Woman, and Nick Nolte as Aquaman. 
Oh my God! <laughs> so Bob Rosakis's when, when would that ever have been Bob, good casting? Bob Rosakis's answer was this sort of flabbergasted. Like he was very, very nice in his answers because he, he, he was talking <laughs> to young comics fans. But this was one where he was like clearly flabbergasted, and he's like his his answer was up to the effect of. I don't really ever foresee that happening. And then it was like, and dot, dot, dot. And when did Nick Nolte ever play the King of the Seven Seas? Right. And I was like, well, it kind of makes sense if you think of the time, 1978. Nick Nolte was a leading man. He was blonde. And he had just been in that movie, The Deep, which was took place entirely underwater. So it was clearly that fan's conjecture that he would be the right guy. And if you look back... You know, you think of Nick Nolte now and how kind of like terrifying he is. Right. I mean, so, so, right. I'm thinking but of. but if you if you think about I'm him, thinking more. Uh, uh, what's he called on uh, SpongeBob? Uh, oh, we're Barnacle Boy, yeah, and, Mermaid Man. Um, Mer- he could be Mermaid. Yeah, Mermaid, Mermaid Man. Yeah, Mermaid Man. <laughs> um, hey, we lost him too. Ernest Borgnine. Jeez, we lost the. Oh, we lost God. him too. I I saw him at Dragon Con last year. He pointed at me and my buddy. Or actually, pointed more at my buddy than me. Wow. But still, he walks right past me. He's like, that that guy thrown out. Um, but uh, but but so he looks he looks so good at it for his age too. I mean, he was yeah he was he was up there too. Um, but uh, so clearly that fan was just sort of put, sort of putting two and two together and coming up with five. Um, right. But it was it was more the way that he wrote it was funny. He just wrote it like as if that was a done thing. Sure, sure. You know, so that's what that's, I never forgot. That. I, I think I posted that little bit of that column on the on the shrine like four times like i just i never tired of posting <laughs> um but anyway as as god as we're sort of getting around the first version live action version of aquaman that ever existed was in 2005 which was in the smallville episode aqua and he was played by arthur richson who was also kind enough to contribute to the aquaman shrine's 70th anniversary he gave us a nice quote thank you alan um and that was his debut um he was introduced his he was he was Basically, you know, the, the the he's never called Aquaman ever in the show. He's called uh, either Arthur or AC. And the way Arthur Richen played him and the way he was written, he's kind of like a frat dude. He kind of he says he says bro a lot, like frat dude surfer. Frat dude surfer, yeah. Now they did give him like there's scenes where he's wearing a green tank top and orange shorts, or the other way, the other way around, orange and orange tank top and green shorts. So I mean, clearly they were, you know. Um, referencing to what he would be eventually. You know this uh, whole orange and green thing you got going? Looks like Flipper threw up. I'll tell you what. You show me how to dress the way you like, and I'll teach you how to swim. And he, they gave him powers in the show that he did not have in the comic. They gave him, like, hard water powers. They sort of gave him mirrors powers. Hmm. And... But, well, he had that in the classic cartoon, though. Well, that's true. That's true. He did have that. But, I mean, in terms of the comics, they were going on their own way. Right. Um, in, that, in that episode, um, he runs into uh, Lois Lane on the beach, saves her, which he bumps her head, pulls her out of the beach, and she's, like, in her bikini. And Smallville never missed an opportunity to put Erica Durant in a bikini. And then they had him. Bless them bl- for that. Yeah. And then they had him in, in his trunks so it was like this was just a little bit of you know eye, eye candy for everybody um now she sort of falls in love with him in that episode you know and it's sort of like you know, this is going to be awkward later in the justice league um <laughs> so that was that was his first appearance and i remember watching that when it aired and it was so exciting because this was that was pre-shrine and so i just remember that was so exciting 
it was like, oh my God, there's actually live-action Aquaman. You know? I mean, there'd been live-action Superman since the 40s, live-action Batman since the 40s, live-action Wonder Woman since the 70s, or technically the 60s, if you want to get really technical. Um, and here, you know, it went all the way until 2005, but here it was. Here it was live-action Aquaman, so it was really cool. I, I, I had my issues with how they presented him, but it was like, that's the small universe. You know, everybody's kind of college dudes and you know, bros and broettes, and that was just sort of how they did it, you know. So, I mean, I, I had to accept it that this was a young version of this guy, of, of the character that I knew. And they later established him as kind of like uh, an eco-terrorist, essentially. I hate to be a little harsh maybe with that term, but, like, he was a guy that was going around, like, you know, destroying labs that experimented on like animals or experimenting like labs that like were dropping poison into the sea. He was like blowing these things up. So he was kind of, you know, if, if he really existed, he would be sort of an outlaw, which is how they presented him in Smallville. You guys, you should have seen this guy. It was amazing. I've never seen anybody swim so fast or drink so much water. <laughs> Keeps my skin soft. So how do you like University of Miami? You go to school in Miami? Yeah. How do you know that? I'm a big fan of college swimming. Really? Since when? Since Arthur Curry started dominating the sport. So how'd you learn to swim so fast? I don't know. I guess it runs in the family. My dad operates a lighthouse down south. He swims like a lead weight. <laughs> this must have been my mom with the skills, but she died when I was a baby. I see. I'm so sorry. I'm not going to say it doesn't suck, but, you know, growing up by the water was awesome. I probably spent more time in it than out. And what brings you to the most landlocked spot on the map? Crater Lake. The last few months, a bunch of fish have been dying off. The EPA blames it on temperature change, but I think that's totally bogus. Small was a long way to go to check on temperature changes. Not if you care about the world you live in. See, people think that what happens in the oceans and lakes doesn't affect their lives. It does. It's all connected. Do you really believe that, or is that a pickup line for the girls? Clark. Uh, he made three appearances on Smallville after that. He appeared in the show Justice in 2007, where they brought him in as basically part of the early Justice League, because by that point they had had a version of Flash, um and a version of Cyborg, which, again, like, with these characters they pick. Um, and, and, of course, Green, well, Green Arrow. Let me ask you a quick question. Um, and I'm jumping ahead a bit. We're going to talk about the live-action Aquaman pilot um, in a little while. But when was that filmed in relationship to the first AC appearance on Smallville? The pilot, um, the pilot was filmed in between the first... Smallville episode and the second Smallville episode. The first Smallville episode was 2005. The Aquaman pilot was 2006. And then the second Aquaman episode was 2007. Okay, so the pilot for that series was done after AC's first appearance yes. on Smallville. Yeah. Okay. And they... I, I, I guess it, it was a little contradictory to the Smallville episode then. It exists, yeah, it exists totally in it, kind of in its own thing. I mean, the, the again, we'll, we'll get on this in a later, um, but the pilot, the Mercy Reef pilot, does seem to exist in its own little pocket universe, although there was no reason why they couldn't tie it into Smallville if they had wanted to. Um, yeah. it, they kind of threw it off by the fact that they cast Justin Hartley 
as Aquaman in the pilot when he appeared as Green Arrow on Smallville. It was a little confusing. Well, I think that happened after it was clear that our Mercy Reef wasn't going to go forward. Right, I think so. I think that's kind of how it so, worked out. So, And, and I, I sidetracked this. I apologize. Let's, let's finish talking about... Um, well... We'll finish talking about uh, the, the Smallville version of Aquaman. Right, so he appeared in, he appeared in 2007's Justice. He appeared in 2008's Odyssey, um, which has also featured uh, a live-action version of Black Canary. That's another thing. They were just, By that point, they were just completely going hog wild on the who's who and just pulling characters out left and right. Um, and then his final appearance was in Smallville's final season in an episode called Patriot, and that is even more historic because that features the first and so far only live-action appearance of Mira, played by Elena Satine. So that was even more, like, for an Aquaman fan, you were like, oh, my God. And then they went even more crazy in, like, almost like the second-to-last episode of Smallville, where they featured a cameo by Black Manta, a live-action Black Manta. Oh, really? Yeah, he doesn't say anything, but you see him there. Oh, wow. You see, they do, like, they basically do, like, a Legion of Doom. And you see a bunch of villains standing around a table, and there's a live action. You see the big helmet. So they really were getting ambitious. <laughs> by the oh, end of, wow. That That's pretty cool. Yeah, so, I mean, in terms of bringing in parts of the Aquaman universe, Smallville was really quite, you know, really moved him forward. I mean, they, you know, they not only had, uh, you know, the first live action Aquaman, they had first live action Mira, and the first live action Black Mana. I mean, you can't ask for anything more than that. Jeez. Now, I, I haven't actually seen a lot of those. I, I saw. The first Aquaman episode, um, which I'll come back to in a second, and then I saw Justice, I think, which was the first time they all got together. Yeah. I didn't see any of the other ones. Right. Um, and I'm going to be honest, I wasn't a big fan of the way they portrayed Aquaman. Uh, it's not the actor. He did a, you know, given the role he was handed, he did a fine job. I, I don't fault him. Um, but it was the, the, the writing and probably the directing of, like, the frat boy just didn't sit well with me. For Aquaman, uh, I had a hard time with the, with the bro and and all of that, and it, so by the time I saw the first episode, I was like, eh, you know, certainly seeing Aquaman was awesome. Certainly seeing Erica Durance uh, in a bikini is awesome, but otherwise the episode was just left me feeling not complete. And then after I saw Justice, I'm like, I'm done. Yeah, I'm I gave up on the, I actually gave up on the show too, and I only returned to it when they were doing like a big guest character episode. Like, when they did the one with the Justice Society, I'm like, all right, I'll watch this. But I pretty much gave up. I just felt like they were really spinning their wheels. That's, to me, that show ran, I think, seven seasons, and it needed to run, I think, four. I think they really uh, only had, like... I think it... No, I think it went ten seasons. Did What? Did it really go on that long? I'm pretty darn oh, sure it did. You're right. It was on 2001 to 2011. Holy yeah. mack. Well, yep. then... Well, they were going to they were gonna box it up in, in canon around season seven. And then they had some different ideas, and some different folks came in, and they kept it alive. And that's actually when it sort of took off, got a second wind. And um, people like Jeff John started writing episodes, and that's when they started bringing in more superheroes. That's why Justice happened. That's why Justice Society happened, you know, all that. So um, that was actually during its second wind is when it really started kind of going. They really good. I mean, but, they brought in the Martian Manhunter on that show. They brought yeah. in, I mean, they really got ambitious. I got to I gotta get, I mean, they did a whole Justice Society episode for the love of Pete. No firestorm. No, nope. whatever. Um, so I, I did have a real hard time swallowing the Aquaman thing. And when I say I walked away, like, I, I it wasn't like I feel like Smallville's gotten out of touch. It's like, I can't stand this Aquaman. I'm out. Mm. It Like, Aquaman actually played a big role in me stopping watching Smallville. Um, so it's, that's how important it was to me. But, you know. 
But again, the, the dude looked great. You know, if, if they had asked him to play the character differently, I would have been completely sold on it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so like, tell me, since I didn't see a lot of it, like, he had the hard water powers. Mm-hmm. Okay. He could breathe underwater. Yes. He could swim fast. Did he talk to fish or talk about talking to fish at all? Yes, they did stuff where he was communicating with sea life, but it was very, very low-key. Like, they did not, you know, he was not like, what fish? Let me go over there. He talked about that he got messages from things under the sea, but they they really downplayed that big time. So there was no... No. They did do a little bit of that. They did. I can't remember what episode they did it, but they did a little bit of that kind of thing, but not, again, they, they... they really made him more like a big bruiser type guy. And because Eric, what's his name? Alan Richard was really built. So he had that look of like somebody that could, you know, really punch your lights out. So, um, yeah. And then eventually, after like he became part of like the little quasi secret Justice League that they had going on, where he was off while Clark was still mooning over Lana or Lois or whatever and still not figuring out that Lex Luthor was evil. Uh, he was off having adventures with Green Arrow and Black Canary and, like, doing all sorts of, like, basically undercover superhero work. That's what they... And then when he's with Mira, like, Mira picks up his work with him where they're going around, like, attacking oil stations that are, you know, dumping oil into the water and stuff like that. Like, those two... There's a great scene in, in in their final episode where they come up out of the beach and after like having set some explosives or some bad guys and they stand on the beach and they they kiss right as the explosion explosion goes off and like they're backlit and it yeah. reminded me of a scene from preacher which is if i don't know if you ever read preacher but um uh, yeah oh yeah. well that that scene in where he gets reunited with tulip after he burns the house down of all of his evil relatives, and he's like, you know, I love you, baby, until the end of the world. And the book ends on that moment. That's how it looked yeah. to me. It was just like that kind of like these two crazy, like Bonnie and Clyde, underwater Bonnie and Clyde, you know, kind of thing. So, um, plus it was just awesome to see a live-action Mira. I never thought I'd see that in my lifetime. You know, <laughs> It kind of makes a little bit of sense, the direction they took. You know, in hindsight, stepping away from you being a better old comic fan. Um it sort of makes sense the direction of taking Aquaman to be a bruiser because, you know, if you're going to make Aquaman cool, you're limited by a lot of different things. I mean, he, he is the butt of so many jokes. So how do you make Aquaman cool? Well, make him a big bruiser. Yeah, you know, well, play up strength. And so I can see why they went that direction with the character in hindsight. No, yeah, I didn't really, I didn't have any issue with how they handled him because that was simply the Smallville world. I mean, I, to me, it's like, all the characters in Smallville were handled that way. Everybody was sort of, I think, reduced down to their physical attributes. You know what I mean? For the, I mean, like Lois Lane was the big intrepid girl reporter, but every third episode they found a way to, for her to go undercover at a strip club. You know, so that that God bless. Me. Yeah, I mean, that was just the show. The show was kind of, you know, in some ways, kind of dumb, and it was sort of written to that. And so, you know, he had to fit in that universe. But I thought within that context, I enjoyed it, and I, of course. I just enjoyed it on a pure level of getting this character into live action that had never been done before. You got some awesome stuff in here, bro. Yeah, I got the feeling the ocean floor is a little more interesting. And it'll stay that way now, thanks to you. Well, I did have some help. We do make a pretty good team, huh? Maybe we should start up a, a junior lifeguard association or something. I'm not sure I'm ready for the JLA just yet. Unless you promise to stop blowing things up. As long as Luther sticks to dry land, I'll keep the C4 to myself. 
But if anyone messes with my home... Look, I don't think Leviathan's going to be a threat again. But Lex might. He's seen your abilities. He'll turn the world upside down looking for you. Where's three quarters water? Good luck finding me. What about school? In Miami. This is one team I have to find another handsome stud. Just stay out of trouble, all right? AC? Try to get in some, Clark. Stay super, bro. So I appreciate it for what it was. I like Alan Richin. Um, and I think, you know, I would have actually preferred to see him do the pilot. It would have been need to keep that going, but they chose not to do it. Uh, one little fun fact about Alan Richin is that he was the voice of Aquaman in the DC New Frontier animated special. Oh, and cool. Aquaman has that one scene where he pops up. Oh, out but it's such a good it's scene. It's such a great don't, scene. He probably Don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. What? Who, who hasn't read New Frontier at this point? Maybe people. All right. Well, anyway, he's he's in the New Frontier playing Aquaman, so that was a nice a, bonus for him. That's really cool. You got to do that. Awesome. Well, uh, so we've got Smallville. We had you sort of mentioned the Justice League, of course, and then we had Batman: Brave and the Bold. Those aren't live action, but they're worth noting because they're recent. Um, he's been in a lot of stuff the last five years. It's great. It's been a great time for the character in terms of other media. It, it all works well into the flow of him having a top ten selling book. There you, go. you know, yeah, perfect. It's just uh, it's it's his era. It is. It, yes, this, the twenty first century is the Aquaman century, as it will be. Dawning so, of the age of Aquaman. Aquarius. It's perfect. Uh, right Aquaman. <laughs> On that terrible note. Oh man, yeah. I, I think literally note. Uh, I think we're going to go to break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about. Mercy Reef. Right. And in the meantime, the, the break is going to be a little um, tour that the late, great Joe Kubert gave um, of his studio. He, I, I'm not exactly sure who he gave this tour to, but it's it's up on YouTube. And uh, so that, that's the audio of, this, of him just showing around his, uh, his amazing studio, which I was lucky enough to visit at least once or twice in my lifetime. So... Uh, that's pretty cool. So here, here. <laughs> at the school, they call that taking them out to the woodshed. They did. And they, <laughs> anyway, enjoy this, and uh, we'll see you in about uh, ninety seconds. Most important thing there is my granddaughter. That's uh, my son Adam's latest issue, and um, this is my tabaret. These are the brushes and pens that I use. This is my music box, two lights on the table, uh, my pens and brushes, I use them all. Um, light box that I use every once in a while, T uh, triangle that I use quite often, measurements, I make my own measurement sticks for dividing a page into panels and for the full size. I've had these for years. I do it myself. My coffee that goes nuts, and that's it. All right, folks, we're back from break. Hope you enjoyed that tour of Joe Kubert's studio. And now we are going to talk about Mercy Reef, the, uh, I guess you call it unaired pilot, even though it's become available. Uh, so this was a 
production that was put together, as you said, in between seasons of Smallville, after the first appearance of Aquaman, uh, first appearance of AC, in an effort to possibly spin Aquaman off into his own Smallville-like show. Yes, yeah, it was, it was done by all the same guys, Alfred, Alfred Gogue and Miles Millar. So they filmed the pilot, this time replacing um, the actor who played AC on Smallville with Justin Hartley, uh, who I guess at that point was, this was his first appearance in any of their shows. He went on later to be Green Arrow on their show, Oliver Queen. But um, he played, you know, Arthur Curry or AC, uh, a.k.a. Orin, in this pilot. And, um, yeah, the, the, the basic, well, uh, do you want me to go through the basic premise? I guess we yeah. didn't talk about this. Uh, yeah, why don't, you, why don't you do it? Okay. Basic premise is about a young man named AC who lives on Tempest Key in Florida. And uh, his mother died in a plane crash in the Bermuda Triangle when he was about 10 years old. He was on the plane with her. And she, you know, said, make something of your, as, as she's going down to her watery death, she says to Arthur, you know, um, make something of yourself. And she gives him a necklace and she says, I'll find you or something along those lines. Mommy! Mommy, help me! I'm stuck! I can't get out! They're coming for you. You have to get to the surface. Do good with your life. I will find you again, I promise. I love you, Oren. And uh, he goes off and... He wakes up to find himself floating on the back of a, a whale, and there's a whole pod of whales around him, and it's like a kind of an eerie moment. Then you immediately cut to him as an adult, and he is doing sort of what AC was doing. He's, he's become a bit of, not so much an eco-terrorist, but he's certainly uh, an eco-activist. For example, he went into sort of a marine land sort of park and freed five dolphins and gets arrested by the local sheriff for this. He lives on a boat and he takes people for diving tours to make money. He also is a co-owner in a bar uh, with a young lady. And he's just kind of living his life, living day to day. His dad is the local constabulary, um, or I guess he's really Navy, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's a, yeah, yeah. But he's, he's also... He's a Coast Guard officer. That's what it is. He's a Coast Guard officer, all right? And I'm sorry, he wasn't part of the police, uh, but he was there in the police scene. That's why I get confused, and I have a simple mind, so, uh, you know, I get so confused. Anyway, uh, and his dad was played by Lou Diamond Phillips, right? La Bamba himself. That's right. Hey, I like to think of him from Stargate Universe. If any of you watch Stargate Universe, you've just gone up in my coolness of points. Um, dude, that show was so good. All right, it was, okay. so, all right, all right, it was all right. robbed after two right, years. Okay. Don't start me on that. I'm trying the, not to. I'm trying to get it's to gonna be the on. fire and Stargate podcast by the end of the night. Damn it! Anyway, um, wow. <laughs> so his, his dad says, "Get your act together." You know, there's enough of this crap. You know, it's been ten years since your mother's gone. She wants you to do something in your life. You're not doing anything. And there's a, there's a B plot going on where a gentleman who you know is, is he's I believe he's FBI uh, is involved in an investigation. People keep disappearing and reappearing in the Bermuda Triangle. Like for example, somebody disappears in 1918. And suddenly they're reappearing in modern day, 2005, I think it is at the time, and they look just the same age. So what the heck's that about? So people disappear in the Bermuda Triangle are coming back. And he recruits a pilot, um, a Navy pilot, to help him. Or was she Air Force? I don't know. And he rec recruits a, a military pilot to help him with these investigations. And she sort of bumps into AC. She crashes her plane because it gets attacked from the ocean. There's these, these strange attacks, these water spouts that come up almost, or blasts of energy that come up out of the ocean and attacks her plane. This is similar to the same one that, just, that killed AC's mom. So he saves her life, and they sort of begin. You, you see sort of a love interest building there. And meanwhile, uh, this other gorgeous woman has shown up and is sort of poking her way around AC's world and trying to seduce him a little bit. And uh, he, he falls for it. 
and uh, she turns out that she's uh, a siren. She's this mer-creature. She transforms into this mer-creature and tries to kill him, and she indicates that she probably is the one who killed his mother. Uh, and thankfully, as all good movies have, we then have Ving Rhames shoot the bad guy through the chest with a, uh, a cross, crossbow, which is how all shows should you know, have their middle point. So Ving Rhames becomes sort of a, a, um, a mentoring character to AC. Turns out he... he <laughs> go ahead, Sam. I would like to personally see Whitney and like that. <laughs> he, uh, he becomes a mentor character to AC because he's also from Atlantis. He knew his mother. And he basically is explaining that Arthur is a lost prince of Atlantis. And as crazy and far-fetched as that sounds, the character of AC plays it up that way. He's like, friggin' nuts. You know, that's one of the things I like about it. He's, he's basically indicating that, you know, he's crazy. This doesn't make any sense. But he can't deny that he just got attacked by this murder creature either. Who are you? An exile like you and your mother. Exile from where? It's called different names by different cultures. You probably know it by its most famous. Atlantis. Atlantis. Yeah. Next time you're in Atlantis, could you say hi to Captain Nemo and the Little Mermaid for me? You think I wanted to be the one to tell you? No, I think you need to lay off the booze, old man. It's pickled your brain. You can't run away from your true calling, Orin. So let me get this straight. My parents were the rulers of Atlantis. So I guess technically that would make me... A prince. You know, the fact that you can say that with a straight face is impressive. Let me ask you a question. Does Atlantis have a retractable dome? Or does everyone just swim around in there like a bunch of fish? Don't mock me. So he spends a lot of time with Ving Rhames, and then by the end of this, the the end of the story, he is on a boat. He's been knocked out by the siren creature. She's going to take him to the murky depths of Atlantis. But there's a big battle, and he stabs her through the skull and kills her in one of the cooler battles I've seen in superhero live action superhero stuff. And uh, at the end, you sort of get a sense that Ving Rhames is going to continue to mentor AC uh, on how to use his powers. And possibly eventually to, you know, to, to deal with what's going on with Atlantis, because Atlantis is going to continue to, keep, to come to the surface and attack. And uh, again, in the B plot, the FBI agent that is investigating all these people that disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle and come back, turns out that's tied to Atlantis. And in fact, the, air, the, the pilot that he's recruited doesn't know it, but she's one of those people that disappeared and has come back. That's kind of your stinger, as you're like, whoa, she's one of the people. And um, that's kind of the story in a nutshell. Hopefully all of that would take five to seven years to unfold, and that way they can get it into syndication. And um, there's a lot to talk about with this, but I'll just say right up front, I really enjoy this pilot. I, I, I think it's great. I think it's up there with some of the better episodes of Smallville. Um, I think it's well put together. I really like Justin Hartley as, as Aquaman. Um, he's not certainly the big, bulky, muscular Aquaman you would think of. Um, no, he's much but, more lean than, than uh, Alan Richardson is. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's almost gawky in, in some ways. Um, but I, I, he had such a great, engaging personality and that smile and, and the way he pulled off the blonde hair. And, and as you said, the or he wears the orange tank top and the green bathing suit or green trunks, whatever. And he's just a likable guy, you know. I, I really enjoyed his portrayal of Aquaman, and um, I took to it. 
Now, uh, the, the woman who played uh, Nadia, the siren, is Adrienne Palicki. Oh. You know, do you know what she played as well? I, I, I've got all kinds of naughty things that I'm trying not to say. I'm not asking you that. I'm asking, do you know what other roles she played? Calm down. I don't know, but she is so go. She also played Wonder Woman in the failed Wonder Woman pilot <gasps> last year. Oh, my gosh. That's her. That's her. So she, you know, I was I was gonna bring up the Wonder Woman pilot. She is your if you put her in your pilot, your show ain't going to series. I guess that's true. But I was gonna say that it was like up there with the better episodes of Smallville and was leaps and bounds above Wonder Woman. Was gonna say because I st- I don't think Wonder Woman the Wonder Woman pilot was terrible by any means. Um, it just wasn't as good as it could have been. Um, and I do think she made an excellent Wonder Woman. She makes an even hotter Siren. Um, I mean, guys, seriously, she's so okay. smoking. This, this is why we don't have a lot of female listeners. No, it's because we do an Aquaman and Firestorm podcast. That's why we don't have a lot of female listeners. <laughs> but I will say um, that one one thing they always had trouble with in Smallville, and you brought it up earlier when they mentioned they never missed a chance to put Erica Durance in a bathing suit, is it's really hard in the city of Smallville to find a reason to put, a, to put Erica Durance in a bathing suit. I mean, they really got to work the story to make that happen. Whereas in here, that, yeah, whereas <laughs> Mercy Reef, it takes place in Tempest Key, Florida, and so literally every girl is every, walking well, everybody, around. every character, every man well, or woman is in bathing suits. So right, but the guys have shirts on. I was going to say every girl is literally walking around in a bikini, right? A yeah, very small bikini, yeah. and they're all CW hot, you yeah. know, or back yep. then a WB hot. No, see, hey. well, that's the pro- see now that you've tipped it off. That was the problem. The reason that this show never got past the pilot is because it was right at the it was going to be produced for the w, for for the WB network, and then right at that moment, WB and the what was the other network? UPN. UPN. God, UPN. They merged into one network, so all of a sudden you had two networks worth of shows having to be smushed onto one network schedule, and I guess they perceived that Aquaman wasn't strong enough, and so they killed it. And so the poor thing never got a chance to go anywhere. And, you know, my – they took even more liberties with the Aquaman universe in this book. I mean, this show is basically Buffy the Vampire Slayer. With, what? With, yes. You've got a mentor. He's, you've got uh, Ving Rhames as Giles. He's going to go around and teach his young charge about the, the, all the dangers out there. And they're going to go around and stake people with their crossbows. You know, that siren was just the beginning. There are creatures in the deep you couldn't imagine in your worst nightmares. Well, that's reassuring. Thanks a lot. (laughs) I'm not here to make you feel good. I'm here to prepare you for the worst. But we should have started your training years ago. Well, then let's do it. Let's start now. I'm ready. birthday gift. Kind of feels like a book. Not really much of a reader. Just open it. Henry IV, parts one and two. Hmm. Didn't really know Shakespeare was in the sequels. I expect for you to have read them by next week. Uh, I gave up book reports in sixth grade. This is part of your training. Right. See, when you said training, I thought you meant 
you know, wielding tridents and doing cool stuff in the water. All in due time. Don't worry, there's plenty of sex and violence in there to keep you interested. Couldn't you just hit the highlights and tell me how it ends? The lesson isn't in the ending, Orin. It's in the journey. It's, it, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's bad, but it's basically the same format. And that would have been, I think, a perfectly workable format. Buffy the Vampire Sailor certainly got a lot of years out of it. Um, okay. So it hey, yes, there's some of that, yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, it sucks because it was that. It was just saying they were taking a very established format that you could get a lot of shows out of. Um, and they were sort of mashing it with the Smallville sort of aesthetic or Smallville universe, although we didn't know how deeply embedded that was going to be. But it never got a chance. It, it got canned and never to be, I was going to say never to be seen, but of course that didn't happen because later, uh, I think a year or two later, they put it up on iTunes for sale yep. under the, t- and they changed the name from Mercy Reef to Aquaman. They just went full out and called it Aquaman. Within one week, it reached the number one spot on the list of most downloaded TV shows on the digital stores list and held that spot for over a week. Oh, so, wow. So it's like, thanks, WB, thanks, CW, a show that you didn't think people would watch for free they were willing to pay $2 for. And by the way, if you haven't seen it, um, you can still go out to iTunes and pay $1.99 to watch it. And we highly recommend you do, A, you know, don't, don't do a torrent, support it, pay for it, and... Um, you know, watch it. It's good. I mean, it's good. It's also, it was also made available on a couple different DVDs. Oh, yeah, that's uh, right. Like a small now, box sets and a Justice League Crisis and Two Words animated movie. They put it on with that, too. Now, I'm going to ask you. I don't know. I think I – I don't know that I came out and said this. Did you like this? I did. I did. I did. I mean, again, I was more happy that, like, here was Aquaman getting his own show. Like, that's pretty – again, it was not the Aquaman that I was familiar with, and it was, to me, even more removed from – the one from Smallville. So to me, it was even a further step away from the sort of classic Aquaman. But I liked it. I, I, I don't, I'm not a huge, giant fan of Justin Hartley as an actor. Um, but, you know, it probably would have gotten better over time. And it's very hard to judge shows by their pilots. I, I mean, it's unfortunate because that's how shows get sold, is right. based on their pilots. But, like, there are shows that, like, I love Mad Men. I love that show. And it's all available on Netflix now, and we've been watching the old ones. And when I watched the first season, I'm like, this show is n- this first season is not as good as the later seasons. And so, you know, and yet that wasn't my memory. I'm like, oh, Man Man was always was excellent from day one. Well, yeah, but to me, it wasn't as good. You know, it starts picking up as of season two. So, you know, you can't get. I think you can't get too harsh on a show when it's just starting out because they're finding their footing. So I, I, you know, I mean, I was just thrilled that, that there was going to be a show. I mean, to me, it seemed like the perfect time to pick up for Smallville. Smallville was going to be, it seemed like it was ending its run. Of course, it wasn't, but it seemed like it was. And it seemed like, oh, this will be perfect. They need a Smallville-esque show for the new network. Here's Aquaman. Perfect. Pick, you know, take it and take the ball and run with it. Yeah. I mean, have you ever tried to watch, um, in recent years, Encounter Farpoint, the first Next Gen episode? I, I just watched the Dr. McCoy part. Okay, it's uh, in in you know, guys. I am a diehard Star Trek fan, so don't get on my case and write hate mail for this. I, I counter Farpoint is very hard to watch for me now. It's very hard, right? Because and like you said, people don't get it right necessarily the first time. They they build into it. So I would say I really enjoy this pilot, and I can only see that even getting better. It would have been a great show, you know. Um, the different couple different things. You know, you said it wasn't your Aquaman and. And technically, you're right. I guess it's not my Aquaman, but I really like this version. I mean, 
they they did the things that work for me. They called him Orin, you know, as to that being his real name. And I know I, I that's probably not your Aquaman because you're more this you like the Silver Age origin more, whereas I like the post crisis origin more. I think. Mm-hmm. But that really worked for me, the fact that he was Orin and he was from Atlantis rather than being born up on the surface. I really dug all that, um, you know, including the Mercy Reef stuff. All it just was really working for me. Now, some behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, there's some irony in here that, like, I-, I live in Florida, and I've spent some time in the Keys. So I'm watching this show. In fact, I was watching it again last night in preparation for this. And I was sitting there looking going, that doesn't look like the Florida Keys. That doesn't look like the Keys. They filmed this in California or something. And I'm looking it up right now, and I'm right. It doesn't look like the Keys, but they did film it in North Miami. So it's pretty close. So I I feel kind of like, oops, maybe I don't know my own state as well as I thought. As you said before, it's a big state. It is. God, it's freaking huge. And then uh, his boat, and I, I had to Google this tonight in preparation for this episode too. His boat is called Quint. And I was like, good, Gosh. good, nice, good gag. Uh, well, I was trying to get it. And I was thinking, is it Quisp? What is that? I don't know. I had to Google Quint, and it's from, sounds like you already know. Yes, Jaws. Exactly right. So I didn't catch that. So that's a brilliant little, you know, Easter egg in there for it. I, I really took that. So Yeah, I said, I think it, it definitely had potential. And, it, and, and I tend to take the long view about the character. And it's like, this would have been an amazing, like, I think I said this a couple of weeks ago on the show, maybe last week on the shrine, because um, the Onion AV Club interviewed Lou Diamond Phillips, and they do, they have a thing on, on that called Random Roles, where they just pick, like, 20 different roles an actor has played and ask the, the actor about them, and, oh, wow. and, and, and I, you know, I always read those articles anyway, but I was particularly interested in this one, because I was like, oh, I wonder if they're going to mention Aquaman, and Lou Diamond, Phillips, Lou Diamond Phillips brings up the Aquaman pilot before he's even asked about it. Really? Yes, he, he talks about being in projects that he thought were great that never go anywhere. And he goes, yeah, he goes, you know, I've been in a couple of those. And he's like, Aquaman, cough, cough. And I was like, oh, there it is. And then later they asked him about it. And he said that he thought it was a great show and had great potential. And he was very frustrated. He says that he cannot even watch it because he's so still upset that it never went anywhere. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, so he still has a very fond, you know, like memory of it. Um and, and I, as I, as uh, I, I bet you. Now I'm gonna have to go find that interview because I bet he talks about Stargate Atlantis or Stargate Universe getting cut after two years. Oh, maybe he does. Yeah, it's the Onion. Because he, yeah. he was in that too. By golly, yeah, by golly. Yeah, it's the Onion AV Club, and they have the random roles. It's very. You just put in Onion AV Club with Diamond Phillips, you'll find it. Um, but as I said on the Shrine, if he had been given his own show, if like if, even if that show had lasted th- like three years, three or four years, mm-hmm. I think we'd be talking about. An Aquaman movie as a as a when, not an if. Like I think they would have built enough mm-hmm. of a of a of a fan base that he would have been front listed. Uh, you know, well, just, Lord knows, just like, just like the Birds of Prey TV series led to. Oh God. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, consi- you know, I mean, frankly, considering the track they seem to be going with the Justice League movie, I- I'm kind of happy about Ooh. that. It seems that Aquaman's not going to be in the movie. I would be perfectly happy at this point. I think if he stays away from that stink burger. So, uh, but, but I, but I think that the, the show would have helped him even more, um, have a, uh, sort of a bigger pop culture awareness, although he's, he's pretty, doing pretty well by, you know, he's doing pretty well now. Um, he's doing it right now. This, this show could have worked nowadays. Yeah. So, so, you know, I just feel like it was a tremendous missed opportunity. And at the time it was like another in a list of bad breaks. 
that the character suffered. You know what I mean? Like, he's always been the victim of these bad, weird circumstances. I mean, had the WB and, C- and, had the, WB and the UPN not merged, that show would have been on the air. That absolutely, the WB would have kept it because they would have had a whole, you know, block of time. But because mm-hmm. they, because the, you know, because they had to find more room for, you know, whatever other show CW needed, you know, Gossip Girl, you know, the 18th version of Gossip Girl, whatever, uh, they didn't have time for it. But if, if the stupid networks had not merged, even if they had merged a year later, the show would have been on the air for a year and it might have had a chance to build an audience. But yeah, I mean, go, go. Gao, go, uh, however you say his name, is he's got a quote here that actually says, the implication when a network doesn't pick up a show is that the pilot sucks, and that's not the case. It's not a perfect pilot by any stretch of imagination, but he said there's other reasons as to why the CW didn't pick it up. So, yeah. Now, you know, when I was watching it again last night, I noticed something that I hadn't noticed before. Aquaman's mom, uh, Atlanta, I guess her name is, mm-hmm. was her voice dubbed over by Annette O'Toole? I don't think so, but I haven't seen it in a little while, so I'd have to go back and look. But I don't think so. Because I swear that sounds like Annette O'Toole's voice. Uh, th- if they had done that, they would have been fine with me, because I loves me some Annette O'Toole. Well, it'd be kind of weird, though, because of her connection with Smallville to right, do that. Right, right. Maybe, they, maybe I mean, she was like their good luck charm or something like that. I guess so. I don't know. They don't so. mention... I don't, I've don't. i never seen that mentioned anywhere, so I don't know. But it's, So I'm probably imagining it. Could be. I think you just I'm, wanted want it to happen. I do want it to happen. She's cool, and she's got red hair. So. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love it at all. <laughs> My son's story begins in the ocean, a place full of secrets. Some are beautiful. Some are dangerous. Its mysteries have baffled mankind for centuries. None more so than the Bermuda Triangle. But in order to understand the triangle, you must understand my son. Although he lives among you, he was born in the darkest reaches of the sea. I'd hope to teach him the ways of the world, how to lead a good life and become a good man. But then, I was taken from him. So, you know, um, not a lot more to say about it other than, you know, I think it's great. I think that it still stands strong. Um, Rob, you know, sounds like he's not as hot on it, but loves it for the fact that it exists. And uh, I think you guys should go out and watch it. Catch yeah. it on iTunes. Two bucks. Come on. Two bucks. Yeah. And it's it. If, you, if you've ever bought any of the Smallville box sets or the Justice League Crisis on Two Words, you get it. It's, it's there. Just dig it out. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Now, i got to go look. I, I have Crisis on Two Earths. I wonder if I have that version or if I bought, like, the cheap, just single-disc version or something. Hmm. Well, either way. Uh, I think this is going to wrap up our discussion until the Firestorm movie comes out, at least, and then we'll, we'll come back and redo this. Uh, we'll actually just append this episode. So just come back and check the feed every so often, guys, for this particular episode and see if it's been appended since then. <laughs> you better hope they leave Firestorm out of the Justice League movie as well. You don't want the, you don't want the stink of that Ooh. thing being on the character. And if you don't know what we're talking about, folks, just Google a little bit of articles about the Justice League film and I, you how, know they, what? How, how they want to put Superman and Batman in it, and they don't want to have any connection with any of the other Superman or Batman movies, and, I, or Green Lantern, for that matter. I guess it's worth mentioning just as this little bit, because I've brought it up a couple of times. The reason I'm so down on this Justice League movie that they're supposedly doing is it looks as though they are going to that the DC. This is like a panic move. The DC is so upset that Marvel is just running away with the movies 
that they are just fast-tracking this Justice League movie, and I think when you fast-track a movie based purely on financial considerations, you are almost never going to come up with a good movie. Almost never. I just think that's almost impossible. And so I've, I've read indications that they, that they want to focus the movie on the big, let's, put, let's, let's call them what they call them, the big five, which is Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, and Green Lantern. And to right. me, if this movie is, it turns out like I think it's going to turn out, I'd be perfectly happy if Aquaman is left out of it because I, I just don't think it's going to do him any service. It, it might look like the Justice League pilot for TV. Well, um, I don't think it'll be that bad, but, uh, well, you know what? I actually like that the, Justice League pilot. I, you know, I have it's to say, fun for its own kitschiness, yeah. you know. But I mean, but, I, I just, I, I think the movie, uh, what, you just like David Ogden Stiers and Green. I, well, that I do love, but I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I I will defend that pilot. I'm 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 rare, but I will defend that pilot. Um, I live in I'm in a little sad, lonely uh, Facebook page where I'm just talking about how great the Justice League TV pilot and Superman Returns are. Um, but um, I do like Superman Returns. There's, there's there aspects of Superman Returns. Here's the other one. Um, I I just it just looks as though they're trying to rush it through. Like they've already picked a release date, and they don't even have a script yet. Oh, and you can't, you can't, well, you just can't make a movie like that. You just can't. Well, this this started back when Iron Man came out, um, because when Iron Man came out, there was a huge hubbub, and right. you know, obviously, everyone's like, "Wait a minute, comic book movies can make a crap ton of money." You wow, know, besides, who didn't know that at that? Point well, I mean, before, besides Spider Man and Batman, yeah. you know, besides yeah. Spider Man and Batman, there's money to be made here with, with, really? right, with non A list characters, right? Exactly. It, and so they started putting Justice League in production around that time. And they failed. And, they failed miserably. Well, there was a writer's uh, strike. And it, it fell apart during the writer's strike and just never came to be. I mean, they, they were so in a rush to do it at that time. There was talk that even though the writer's strike was going on, they were going to go forward and they were just going to fix the script as they went. I mean, it was that. Oh, it's ridiculous. You they were pushing it that hard. And they had cast Wonder Woman. Uh, she, she was basically just, I think, a supermodel or a bikini model or something. Oh, that's right. Wonder I do remember that. Yes. Yeah. yes, yes, yes. And she was beautiful. Ooh, she was beautiful. But I don't think there was any evidence of her acting chops, you know, really. No. And they at that picked point, a they, weird director. Like, it just all didn't make any damn bit of sense. Well, and, and now, I don't know that the plan's really that different. No, right? it doesn't. It doesn't. It seems like they've just sort of picked up that ball and kept running with it again because Batman and Superman are not going to be connected to the Nolan films. Um, Which makes Green sense. Lantern. That I understand. I don't. Oh, you can't. You can't mix how do you, two worlds. How do you have a Superman and Batman franchise in the theaters and then produce? It'd be like making the Avengers without Robert Downey Jr. No, I don't. Yeah, uh, no, I don't agree. Yeah, I don't agree with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really? That's the level yeah, of your argument. Yeah, that is the level we're at. Oh, wow, <laughs> we're like we're like step brothers now. Um, no, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are. Um, stop hitting me. Uh, stop. No touching. No touching. Um, so it, it's and then the Green Lantern's not tied to Ryan Reynolds' Green Lantern. Well, that I'd be happy with. But it exists. It's out there. It's in the consciousness recently. I mean, how do you, you know? How do you put Superman in this movie and then continue to make further Superman movies that doesn't correlate to this? No, that doesn't make a lot of sense. You can't. Yeah, you can't have the Henry Cavill Superman movie and then do a different. Yeah, it's, right. it's silly. Yeah. It's like Transformers. Transformers. Every couple of years, they just reinvent Transformers. Right. But they know full well they can't have two different Transformers cartoons on TV at the same time. Right. They just do one at a time. Right. They get that. Right. 
So yeah, I just again, but I'm I'm more bothered by the idea of picking a release date and then say now let's make our movie, and it's like you can't do that. You can't. You have to well, write the damn script first and figure out is this any good. Well, people people do that in Hollywood all the time, and, and release dates are incredibly fluid. For example, Star Trek Two was supposed to come out this month originally. Yeah, it was scheduled I, I, for August 2012, and clearly that I mean, why yeah, that's true. Blockbuster film in August, I have no idea. It's usually July 4th, Thanksgiving, yeah, or true. May. So, yeah, I so you know, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I'd I'd love for it to be wrong. I'd be great if they pick somebody good and they make a good movie. But if if it's as it, as it seems now, I'd be perfectly happy for Aquaman to not be involved in it. So. Maybe it'll be even worse, and they'll put him in there in a bad cameo, and he gets made fun of. Now, why, that would be, why would you that, say that? It's just to frustrate you. It's just, it's just nasty. Oh my Maybe God. I haven't seen my brother long enough. We're 11 minutes from my birthday, and you are going to do that. You're going to just you're gonna say that to me. Very nice. <laughs> Happy birthday! Yeah, all right, we're ending the show right friggin' now. That's it. We're done. Anyway... This, All right, folks. That ends. That ends. Fire and water. You know where you can find Shag. Who the hell cares? You can find. <laughs> <laughs> you can find Aquaman at AquamanTrying.com, Facebook, uh, Twitter, maybe Google Plus if you feel like uh, dusting off the, the dusting through the cobwebs. You can also uh, write us an email: firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. You can also follow follow the Fire and Water Tumblr, which is Fire and Water. .tumblr.com, which features uh, some of our pages from the Who's Who. And uh, you can find me at FirestormFan.com on Facebook, Twitter, and Google Plus as well. There you go. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, we will catch you in a couple of weeks, I guess. Fan the flame and ride the wave. Bye. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice in sea, on land, and air. Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah! This is Aquaman, and I welcome you to the Aquaman Shrine, Holy Poseidon.